Okay, friends, if you have a Bible, would you please grab it and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. One of the great privileges that we have at Trinity is that we are a church that believes the church gets bigger as it gets smaller, and we want church planting to be part of our DNA. It always has been. We were a church that was planted out of another, and we also want to continue to be a church planting church. And we've had the privilege of planting a church in Grove, just around Grand Lake, and we have had an even greater privilege to be able to have the Reverend Mark Kuyper come and lead that church. So Mark is going to come and preach for us today. Please give your attention to the preached word this morning because it's going to be the best you've heard for a long time because this is the last time we'll probably get Mark in morning worship. And uh, Grove is going to uh, morning service in April, March, very soon. And so he will not be able to preach in the morning. So we have a real privilege before they do go to morning worship to have him preach and to own together all that God is doing around Grand Lake. So would you please give your attention to the Reverend Mark Kuyper as he brings God's word to us this morning. Good morning. I got a text message from my daughter, and it just said this, my trunk won't close. Sad face, tears coming out of it. That was it. Now, I, I, my immediate response was, she's one. I know you're wondering, why, why on earth would I say that? Well, she's 20, almost 21, and for the last 20 years or so, she's been entrusted to my care, and there's been a couple of things that I've wanted to instill in her mind. Number one, how a radiator works in a car. Number two, that she is not the center of the universe. In fact, when she was little, sometimes she would say things, and I would look at her, and I would just do this. I'd take my fist, and I'd do this. And she knew exactly what that meant. That meant, for that moment, it seemed to me as if my daughter, the princess, was saying, this is me, and the whole world needs to revolve around me. The other thing I would often do to her is figure out some way to help her, if she gets married, communicate with men. And that's why I thought she won, because she just said, my trunk won't close. Now, when she was little bitty, she would say things like, Daddy, I'm hungry. And I would look at her and I would say, I'm so sorry, honey. And she'd look at me with this face of, he's an idiot. <laughs> but my thoughts were, sometimes we don't get it and we need her to be more specific and for her to say, Dad, could you fix me a sandwich? And so I would tell her, honey, if you just say a statement, some guys like me, we, we won't know what to do with it. But I, I knew exactly what that meant. Daddy, my trunk won't close. You see, there was a whole list of messages that I had received from her. In the last six months or so, being away from St. Louis, it's been tough. Uh, we have a great relationship, my daughter and I uh, thoroughly enjoy. She's got three older brothers. They tease her relentlessly, um, except she still knows they just absolutely adore her. But I got messages that said, my key won't come out. And I would respond, did you jiggle the steering wheel? My car won't start. Uh, is it in park or is it in drive or reverse? 
And so when this one came up, my trunk won't close, there was an absolute expectation that I, being the dad, having a relationship with her, adoring her, wanting to care for her, wanting her not just safe, but to thrive in all areas of life, that I would know what to do. In fact, if that happened and I didn't respond, that'd be really bad, wouldn't it? In fact, if, if she asked someone else, I might have been a little offended. So I told her, honey, there's a latch by the driver's chair, by, by, by the seat. On the driver's side, there's a latch that has a picture of a trunk. Why don't you check that latch up, up, up by your seat? And the next text came back, you know everything. <laughs> Smiley face with the little hearts for eyes. Now, we have this connection. My daughter and I. It's different than it is with my sons. There's a connection with my sons. It's, it's, it's just different. But there is an absolute connection with her. The text I'm going to read this morning is connected contextually to what I preached on a few weeks ago here because it just immediately follows that introduction to Ephesians where Paul just is overflowing with his amazement that not only there are believers there, but, but he is so thrilled with this idea that when God calls a people to be his, he calls them to be his for his own glory. That's what he says, that we might be, that we would exist, that God who is breathing life into our bodies, God who is cleansing us, is doing that so that we would exist in such a way that he's able to look at his people and say, here is my glory. And, and it overwhelms him. And the text that we're looking at this morning is kind of a follow-up to that. I wanted to read it because I wanted to make sure you understood that context because it starts with, because of this, or for this reason. And it's, absolutely, it's looking back and saying, because of what I've heard and what I know that has gone on and what I've experienced in Ephesus, but also for the reason that he lists in the text. So this is our text. Ephesians 1. Starting at verse 15, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we, along with the Apostle Paul, Father, we do pray that you, Holy Spirit, would open, enlighten the eyes of our heart, that we would grasp your power, the inheritance that you have secured for us through Christ, and the power of your gospel to free us to direct us. We pray that you would do this, Father, as we open your word, that our knowledge of who you are would grow. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's a little different from uh, entrusting your dad to help you fix your car uh, than something that is your very, very life. I had a delightful first 10 years of ministry. It was with uh, youth, junior high, high school kids. I I have a a fear of heights, and a lot of the trips that we would do required heights. One of the very first middle school trips, we took a whole bunch of kids to Colorado, and on that first day, uh, we were doing a high ropes course, and you're probably familiar with that. It's like trapeze way up in the trees there in Colorado, and all the middle schoolers were terrified except for one boy who should have been terrified. He actually did the whole course holding a soccer ball. Cocky little kid. I was terrified, but I thought, I, I better do this or they won't do it. And I was big back then, and so I put on a harness the first obstacle was a telephone pole. Well, it was a pine tree that was made to look like a telephone pole, uh, about this big on the bottom, and it had the, the steps in it like a telephone pole, and you were to climb to the top of that pine tree, and the top of the pine tree was just cut flat, about that big, and you were supposed to climb, and then when you got about three feet from it, the stairs stopped, and you kind of had to pull yourself up and stand on that. Now, um, you know, I, I look like an orange on a toothpick by the time I got there. That tree was moving back and forth, but I'll get back to that in a second. Before I got on that tree, they hooked me to a spotter who was this big, just this tiny little itsy bitsy lady. And there's a pulley, and it's attached to this harness on my back, and she's got me clipped in, and she says, okay. I said, this has got to be a joke. I'm looking around, and I'm like, "Uh, not only is it going to cost me my life if I fall, you will go flying through the woods, young lady, if I fall. There's no chance that I'm going to go up there being connected to you. This, This is my life. All the kids are watching, but I have kids at home, little ones. I wasn't going to do it. What the apostle is describing here is how from the very start, and salvation being in the mind of God for the people of God, in a sovereign God, that first text that we looked at a couple weeks ago, amazing God, uh, sovereign from start to last in your life, it, it leads him to prayer. And I, I just want to talk a bit about connection. See, for 
us who call ourselves Christians to believe in a sovereign God has to work its way out in our prayer life. And, and oftentimes, it's quite the opposite. Let me explain it to you this way. I, I have a, a, a good friend who is an atheist, and he is an atheist because he had a really, really good dad. His dad was a wonderful, wonderful man. Everybody who knew him loved him. He died when my friend was 16. My friend begged and pleaded, God, please spare my dad. The only way that it has seemed possible for this friend of mine to work his way through life is to say, God must not exist. Because if there is a God, then he, and I'm going to worship him, he should have power. And if there is a God that has power, who's sovereign, who created things, uh, he should respond to my prayers. And if there is a God, there's absolutely no way I can see anything good coming out of him taking my father when I was 16. I just, I, I cannot see how that makes sense. And you see, sometimes the, the idea of a sovereign God does, doesn't really help our prayers. Sometimes it hinders it. And, and I think the reason it hinders it for many of us is because we have this view of prayer being, this is the way I get God to do something for me that he might be reluctant to do otherwise. My prayers to him revolve around me. Lord, make my life easier, healthier, sweeter, more fun, more loving. And sometimes it doesn't seem like he's going to do it. But the way the apostle prays here is to a sovereign God. But rather than his prayer really being focused on, on changing God and God's desires and how God is going to work in our life, his prayer is focused on himself and the people. Instead of going to prayer and saying, God, I, I want you to change this, he goes to God and says, no, God, I want you to change me. It's quite a different focus. Sovereignty connected to prayer. What we read in the text is the things that the apostle knew and what he did. Verses 15 and 16 says, here's what I know, here is what I have seen, here is what I have observed. I have heard that you have faith in the Lord Jesus and that you have love toward all the saints. Again, these things being connected. The apostle is saying, because of this, that I heard you had faith, and I heard you love the saints. Now, um, I can't skip over that. To have faith in Jesus Christ develops in you a love for his people, a connection, a bond, a love. And he says, these are the things that I have noticed. This is what I have heard faith in the Lord Jesus, and a love for the saints. And because of that, in verse 16, I pray for you. I remember you always in my 
prayers. A sovereign God leads his people to pray. What did he pray for? Well, in verse 17, he says, here's what he's praying. Now, it's interesting to know what a person is praying for you. I'm a preacher, so I get asked all the time, will you pray for me? And usually it's a situation that they're not embarrassed about. And it's usually along the lines of what I first mentioned. I I want this to happen in my life. Will you pray for me? Uh, I had a a, a neighbor in another city I've been reaching out to for a while. And um, he, he came over one night upset and said, you're a preacher, right? Will, will you pray for me? And he described this terrible situation in his life. In fact, it was so terrible that I, if I was given God's powers, I wouldn't know what to do. It involved him and these two women. And he said, here's the situation. And he laid it out for me, and he said, now will you pray that this happens to A and this happens to B and that C is the result? And I said, no, I will not pray for that. In fact, you're not going to like what I'm going to (laughs) pray. I said, I can't ask God to do something that goes against what is holy and right and is true. And, and even if I did, you think that somehow me being a preacher, that I'll have this effect, that God will be obligated because what I've done to work something out on your behalf in the way you seem fit. No, but here's what I will pray. And I put my arm around this man, and I prayed this prayer that was probably the most offensive thing he might have ever heard, that these ladies would leave him that he would find his worth and value in Jesus Christ alone, that he in turn in all his relationships would bring about care, nurture, and safety, that every woman that came into his life from this moment on would feel safe and cared for and loved. That's what I prayed for him. Now, some of you, you might be surprised what the elders and the pastors and the deacons and your friends pray for you. <laughs> you might ask them to pray for a situation. They say, I'll pray for you. And, and then if you snuck into their prayer closet and you hear them praying for somebody that is uh, proud and idolatrous and, and loves money and is self-centered, and you think, I wonder who that is. And then you hear your name. You get a little frustrated. But I think it's one of the wonderful things about Ephesians is the apostle says, I I love this church, I love these people, and when I bow and pray, I don't necessarily pray that you won't have affliction. I don't necessarily pray that things will go easy for you, but here is what I pray. There's uh, three things, really, that he prays. The first is a spirit of wisdom, verse 17. Wisdom, similar to what we read in Psalm 119. Wisdom is the application of the things that you know, the connecting of the things that you know and the things that you hear with the way you live your life. I pray that the Spirit would give you wisdom, that the Spirit would give you, secondly, in verse 17, a revelation in the knowledge of God. There's an interesting passage in in Mark 6 
uh, right after Jesus feeds the 5,000. You're familiar with that story. He feeds the 5,000. The disciples get in a boat, and, the, and the, there's a storm going on, and, and they see Jesus walking on the water. You familiar with that passage? They see him walking on the water, and they freak out, and they say, it's a ghost. And Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves. Verse 50, it says, they saw him, they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them, and he said, take hearts, I do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. Here's what I want you to think about. Verse 52 says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Here's what Mark is saying. There was a situation, a storm. There was a, there was a situation that was completely a different situation than a bunch of hungry people. But in the minds of the disciples, it should have all been connected. This same Jesus that fed the 5,000, that showed care over a multitude that was hungry, this same Jesus was their savior. It, it should have connected. They didn't understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hard. The apostle here is saying, I, I have just said these amazing things about what the gospel is to these people, that they're declared righteous in God's sight, that they have an inheritance that no one will take away from them, that they have the spirit, they have been sealed by the spirit. The word seal there in modern Greek is, is the word used for engagement. They have been engaged to God by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in them, and then he prays, oh, that they would get it. Oh, that it would just solidify in their minds and their hearts. And you know what that means? It means it is really possible for us to say things. It's possible for us to even assent to certain truths about God, about his word, about the Holy Spirit, and yet not quite connect it to what happens next, to the next situation, to the next trial, to the uncertainty that we all face. It, it is possible for us to even memorize the Heidelberg Catechism and, 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 and yet our actions prove we still haven't understood. And it's that that the apostle prays for. You need to pray that for Blake, for yourself, for this church, that the things that are said, and sometimes they're so lofty, and sometimes I think you even find yourself amazed that come Monday, whatever situation, you seem to have lost everything that you had just gained on Sunday. And so that's what he prays. Lord, give them the spirit of wisdom. Give them a revelation in the knowledge of God to know him. What is God like? What does he love? What does he want from me in trials? What would bring God pleasure? Brothers and sisters, I'm gonna leave here after the service and I'm gonna run to St. Francis and I'm gonna beg Jesus to heal a beloved brother that's in our church in Grove. I'm not gonna feel in any way <laughs> that I'm going against what I just preached in any way. Our God came to give life and give it to the full. Our God loves humanity. 
Our God took on flesh. He was moved with compassion to all the pain and suffering that he saw. But it's so much more than that. I will pray for this man that the Lord heals him. And as I pray for that, I will also pray absolutely this, that our God would fill him with the knowledge of his grace, would confirm that he has been sealed with the Holy Spirit, would remind him that he has an inheritance that nothing will ever take away from him through Christ. God would reveal himself to him. In fact, we pray that way because that's the vision that the Lord has given us for all of humanity, that one day the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. And the knowledge of the Lord, again, is not just knowing things about him. It's knowing things in relationship to him. The third part of that is that the heart would be enlightened. And then he fleshes that out by saying uh, that you would know the hope to which you were called, you would know the glorious inheritance, and that you would know the greatness of his might. So sovereignty connects us to prayer. Prayer connects us to knowledge. And knowledge connects us to power. He says, I I want you to know this. And then I believe what he does as he closes this out is he illustrates, here is that power that I'm praying that you get. Here is that power. Look at verse 20. This is the power that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. The knowledge of God would confirm that they have the power of the Spirit in them. The knowledge of God would confirm that Christ is connected to his church. And the power of God that was poured out on Christ, God stands ready to pour out on his church. And one of the reasons he is doing this is because the remainder of the letter is going to be instructions on Christian living. Wives and husbands and children. How do we live in the church? And so he starts by saying, in order for you to grasp this, in order for you to live as the church, the light to the world, that is only going to happen when God gives you insight. Just as you received faith through this gift of God, so you will live in grace as a gift of God. He raised him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand, and he gave him authority. Oh, that we would believe that. I've been fixing up this house that we moved into, and the joke is um, I'm trying to get every job down to only three trips to Lowe's. It's just rotten. I bought two grills. The one I set up, it took two hours, and it didn't work. And sometimes I go and I want to return something. Maybe you've done this and there's a big sign, no return without receipt, or, you know, we don't take returns, only if it's an unboxed. And, and uh, it wasn't at Lowe's, but it's another place. And, and what I got was wrong. And I felt absolutely righteous in saying, I want my money back. Well, the lady behind the counter said, Sir, I'm just really sorry, I can't do that. And I said, Well, then, ma'am, it is not your fault. It really isn't. Could I talk to your boss then? He says, well, he, he can't do it either. I said, really? Okay, well, I guess I'll have to talk to his boss then. 
And she said, sir, I understand what you're trying to do. I said, well, do you understand? Because what I want to do is not waste your time or your boss's time. I want to talk to someone who has authority. Is there anyone in this office that has authority? There's got to be someone other than the owner of the company that has authority. The apostle is saying here, you have Jesus. And all the power that God poured out upon Jesus in his delight to raise him from the dead and to exalt him at his right hand is available for you, O church. Oh, I pray that you would get it. That you would grasp it. The church connected to the body of Christ. In a few moments, we'll take communion. And what better way for our God and our Savior to remind us what He has won belongs to us. What our sins deserved belonged to Him. I, um, I asked people about this spotter that I was attached to before I climbed that post. I asked if she'd ever spotted anyone as large as me, and she assured me she had. So I had her testimony. I had a testimony of one of the other workers there. Is she really as good as she thinks she is? Oh, yeah, she's great. And so I climbed up that pole. I got about six feet up that pole, and it's shaking. So I thought, I'm just going to test it. So I jumped off the pole. And the trees creaked up above, and the rope stretched, and, 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 I, and I came down, and, and then she came up, and we kind of met each other about halfway. We were dangling about two, three feet above the ground, just kind of staring at each other. I have this sheepish grin, and she has the look of, oh, I knew he would do this. But you know what happened? I didn't know that she was tethered to another tree. You see, I, I, I could see and understand, and it just didn't make sense to me at all. It just didn't. The physics of it just didn't work out. But I didn't know where she was connected. And so after I saw that, I, I went up and I finished that course. And one by one, all the kids went through it. Every one of them went through it. And you know what happened is they observed something. They observed someone facing fear, testing that fear, and finding out that, that what his faith was in could be trusted. And it enabled them to go beyond their fears and to trust someone. Now, I'm telling you that because when you claim the name of Christ, those around you will observe. They will observe your life. They will know what is this person connected to? What is their only hope? Have you done the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism? Nobody's giving me eye contact. Yes, 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 you've done the first. <laughs> Sorry, Blake. May have to do it again. They'll look around you and they'll say, what is this person's only hope in life and in death? Is it that they belong, body and soul, not to themselves, but to their faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood 
has purchased salvation for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do lift up our own lives and say, oh, Lord, have your way with us. Oh, Lord, help us to, to grasp a deeper knowledge of who you are. Father, that uh, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, and that our trust would be in you and you alone. Lord, that we would believe that same power that you poured out on your Son is available to us as your church, for we are connected to him. Father, your word has made it clear that we are his body, and as we would not want to harm our own body unless it be for greater good, in the same manner our Savior looks at us as his body. May we grasp that, Father. May the world around us see the people who belong to Jesus. And would that, Father, draw souls to you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.